Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bakarvanu mikol hamim, venatan lanu et torato. Baruch atah Adonai, noten haTorah. Amen. May this be to the Refua Shlema of Esther bat Sarah, and may this be to the hastening of the return of Mashiach Yeshua speedily and soon in our days. Wahag Sameach, Pesach prep, cleaning, getting ready for the Seder and all of that. Uh, seven days of get you some plus an extra Shabbat to throw on top of that. So really, might as well call it eight days of get you some. So uh, and to most of us, it's been 14 days of get you some because some of us have already started shopping for kosher for Pesach items. And then we've already been eating hummus free items and then we've also been cleaning and prepping and getting everything together, making all the plans. So, oh, a lot of get you some has been going on. So, yeah, there is basically the halakhic view or perspective of pretty much 30 days of getting ready for Pesach. Um, just more spiritually and more from the heart than anything else. But, you know, really starting from Purim because Purim was the beginning of the defeat of Amalek and bringing us into the opportunity to really walk out of Mitzrayim because there is no more Amalek to hold us back. You know, and Amalek is really fruitless labor and toil is the technical definition of Amalek. It's from the word Amal, but Amalek is is similar in gematria to the word safek, which is the word for doubt. So I know sometimes we bring up a medic and it's like, yeah, don't doubt. And it's like, well, also don't labor in vain. You know, like a person who builds their house on sand, they labor in vain. This is why it's important to know that if you are a follower of Messiah Yeshua, who is Torah observant, that's how you build a house literally on the rock, because you know that through the Torah and the mitzvot, you're building. But if you don't build on the Messiah, if you don't build on faith in Hashem, then you are building on sand, because why are you following Torah? Why are you studying it? Well, obviously, yes, you study so you can do, you read so you can learn, okay, but are you doing that ultimately to really connect yourself to Hashem? Or are you really doing that for some ulterior motive? Because if you are, then that's called sand and that's not good. So, wow. Well, welcome to the podcast. I uh, did not mean to start off like that, but I guess, you know, it is what it is. Uh, so there's a lot that I want to share uh, just for Pesach because... You know, getting ready for uh, Pesach has been so crazy. So can I just have a moment to be on my soapbox? Uh, first thing, little soapbox, I guess a big soapbox, is that I've never seen my fridge so empty. Usually this time of year, I have the most emptiest fridge and freezer for that fact that I've ever seen in my entire life. And uh, Bezrat Tashem, you know, uh, my Kala and I, well, we would be going shopping for kosher le Pesach uh, items. So that will be really, really fun because I'm looking forward to some pancakes. So Baruch Hashem. Uh, the other thing is I've been listening to the Aliyah Day and also just finding different little snippets on Pesach prep, you know, cleaning out hummets and whatnot. 
And uh, first of all, in the Aliyah day, anytime Rabbi Griffin drops Safas MS, just duck and cover because it's going to get crazy. I thought it was crazy on the first day when he brings it up, talking about that sitting down to the the Pesach Seder is bringing order to the universe and really tacooning the whole entire creation for the original intent of Hashem was that all of Yisrael would lead the whole world in the worship and service to the one true God Hashem, i.e. like a new world order or something. Hence why... You know, the adversary and all the forces of impurity and evil and whatnot, uh, they are trying to make their own new world order. So now we know why they're doing that, because originally it was supposed to be us. And so Bezrat Hashem with the coming of Mashiach, may it be soon, may Eliyahu Hanavi actually drink his yain this, this year and let us say Lashana Hazot. Be Rushalayim instead of Lashana uh, Haba be Rushalayim, like next year in Yerushalayim. Let us say, and this year in Yerushalayim. So, yeah, Baruch Hashem, even if we don't get to go this time, Bezra Hashem, we still get closer and closer and closer to in our lifetimes seeing. The opportunity to travel to Yerushalayim on the clouds of glory. Because, you know, go back to my Leviathan versus the Behemoth Drosh. And I talk about the fact that there will be all these pillars of fire coming down and Mashiach. And those are like the clouds and things like that. And those are like little transportation systems, apparently, of some sort that are going to bring us to the land. You know, kind of along the same lines. Shouts out to Zippor Aish on this drop. Along the same lines of the angel of Hashem, whose name is called Wonderful, who appeared to the parents of Shimshon. And when they were talking to him and everything, and they offered a lamb on the altar, uh, homeboy just jumped on it and just went up and was gone. It was just kind of like, okay, that was truly Hashem. And it's just kind of like, well, guess we're going to die now. And it's like, you know, if we were going to die, we would have been already dead. So, you know, so anyway, it's a beautiful story, beautiful insight from Zippor Aish about the fact of going into the the fire and ascending. So uh, and we really we see a semblance of this when we study about the Mishkan and the Beta Mikdash with the Mizbeach that's in the outer courtyard area, because that whatever's thrown on that altar literally ascends directly to Shemaim, you know, to Hashem, literally. That's why he says, uh, pleasing aroma, because when we offer our offerings into Shuvah, that causes the aroma that is pleasing to Hashem. It's not just the fact that it's just burning flesh or burning, you know, whatever on the altar. It's just like, no, it's your Teshuvah. So tell me how your teshuva is really going to translate into something that's on the altar and ascend to a shem and make a pleasing aroma. That's a pretty interesting uh, correlation there. Next thing, uh, oh, because ultimately when we know Mashiach is going to judge by smell, now we know if we want to smell good, we should be people who make teshuva. You know, because if we don't make teshuva, we carry around this body odor that's like really bad. 
because spiritual odor is worse than physical odor because like there's like a, such an exponential uh, intensity beyond the physical for us. So like along the lines that Shaul tells us, you know, as he wrote to the Corinthians that the things that are invisible are more real and they're actually more or they actually are eternal than the things that are visible. So invisible things are more real and they're also eternal. Whereas opposed to the things that are physical, the things that we call quote unquote real are actually, they're not going to last and they're definitely not eternal. So, you know, yeah. So think about that with our teshuva that we, in a sense, take a shower, put on deodorant, you know, a little perfume and things like that, you know. And it's interesting because I was reading Legends of the Jews about the traveling of the Yehudim throughout the 40 years in the wilderness that the Be'er Miriam, the well of Miriam, the rock of our salvation, Yeshua HaMashiach, traveled with us as well as the manna that fell between the two of those we had so much aroma that, I mean, everybody didn't need perfume. It covered up, you know, foul smells and, and all sorts of things. And so just kind of like, and then the clouds of glory, by the way, br brought down by the Midrash Rabbah for Parsha, um, what is that, Kitavo? Uh, the one that talks about your shoes didn't wear out, your clothes didn't wear out. Yeah, that tore portion. So it talks about in there that the clouds of glory were like personal dry cleaning service. So like you really didn't even get like bad body odor as well as your clothes that you always wore like one outfit in a desert for 40 years. Think about this. One pair of shoes in a desert for 40 years. Think about this. And by the way, the clothes that they had previously to these clothes that didn't wear out were the clothes that they packed for themselves from Egypt. And those clothes wore out, whereas these clothes did not. So you if you had a choice, you might want to pick spiritual garments over physical garments. You might want to do things in the spiritual world as opposed to the physical world as far as priority. So when it comes down to do I want to spend all my time watching the news, watching sports headlines? Do I want to spend all my time watching all these sorts of various uh, activities or things as opposed to making sure I pray today, making sure I've studied Torah today, making sure I've done acts of kindness, making sure I've taken time to meditate with Hashem, like, you know, balance those things out because all of this other stuff that's physical and mundane is going to go away. So, uh, and the last thing that I want to say is due to all this cleaning, it's been very, very beautiful because, you know, it's an opportunity to, as I clean, think about what does this really take spiritually? Because the cleaning that we're doing is a physical manifestation of the spiritual reality that's actually occurring. So I was thinking about how I'm boiling all this water and like wiping down things and like dipping dishes, which is toppling, you know, and things like that. And it burns if I don't have any protection on my hands. And yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like, so imagine the vessel, the vessel must be 
experiencing a little bit of heat, you know, not saying that the cups or the plates are like screaming or anything. But I mean, if I was a plate and I was dipped in this water, I would be just done, like forget about it, you know, kind of thing. Third degree burns just terrible, you know, just not feeling good. And I'm just thinking, but this is what our soul is going through. You know, and as we're cleaning, we get the opportunity to pray to Hashem, to meditate, to say, Hashem, burn out the hummets, just like these dishes and these countertops and surfaces are being purged and cleaned of them, like things that are not kosher for Pesach or just things that are dirty in general, you know, and clearing out space, you know, not saying that we need to be clearing out space. Because this is not the time to really like rearrange and organize. But, you know, if you get the time to, absolutely. But main thing, main goal is getting out all the hummets, which I love listening to Rabbi Anava on this because he's so hilarious how he goes, what, you cleaning the chandeliers like somebody's going to, you know, be flicking hummets at the chandelier? Like, is there really hummets up there? You know, it, are people really eating hummets in the closet, you know, in the wardrobe closet or your bedroom closet? You know, it's just kind of like, it's so funny because he's just like, you're supposed to just get the hummets out. Like, make sure you don't have any cookies that are not kosher pesach or any uh, dough, flour, you know, any of the five grains mixed with water that has leavened you don't want that so it's just kind of like all right so this is really cool just to kind of think about cleaning on a whole new level and you know so yeah just want to say that it's absolutely incredible this opportunity to enter into Pesach and you definitely feel uh, lighter you feel more room coming in you know more space to expand you know, and it's funny because Pesach is all about coming out of Egypt and Egypt in is Mitzrayim, which is narrow straits and confinement and limitation, you know, and by the way, that's also called a state of mind. So and our mental and our psyche, you know, what are, what's limiting us, what's keeping us from truly serving Hashem, truly growing deeper in our spiritual walk, uh, you know, any kind of thing that's keeping us away from hastening the return of Mashiach Yeshua, mainly, uh, because I mean, that just needs to happen. So, you know, just let's get it in kind of thing. Right. So, you know, but just thinking about all that and then it's just like you clear out some space, you clean some dishes, you know, you get everything all set, like face ready, you know, because you're getting ready for, you know, a whole week of no hummets. And then you got the extra day on the Shabbat where you will not have time to go buy hummets. So you're going to have an extra Shabbat of no hummets, which is kind of cool when you think about it, because it turns this festival into a Hanukkah that's hummets free. And it's just kind of like a hummus free Hanukkah. Now, that's really holy because not only was the oil and all the fried things just so amazing for Hanukkah, but Hanukkah itself meant rededication, whereas Pesach means mouth that speaks. And now you're going to speak from a place of joy, like the same kind of joy you have in Hanukkah and the same kind of level of Kavanah of rededicating your temple to Hashem because you realize that we're technically rededicating our temple to Hashem because we removed Hamits out. And so we moved out the old Hamits and now we're bringing in the new, which is Hamits free, 
And again, we went over that in the Pesach prep drosh about the old, the old leaven and the new dough, you know, that's uh, leaven free and how that is tied to Pesach, you know. So Shaul brought all that down, which was just kind of cool. Um, but yeah, we're basically doing like a rededication. And how beautiful is it that we'll have eight days of it? Technically, you know, even though the eighth day will be a Shabbat and not Pesach. And by the way, Pesach is like a get you some of like multiple festivals. So that's really cool. You know, like the first night is called Pesach. So coming out of the 14th, going into the 15th and like all day on the 15th, that's called Pesach. So that's your day. Really make sure you eat a lot of matzo on that day. Really make sure you go through your Seder and free yourself from Egypt because you realize that before we can have global Geula, most of us, if not all of us, because we only need a remnant, need to be coming into our own Geula in our own lives, even before it is actually happening. And hang on to that thought because Lakute Torah has some interesting things to bring down from Shabbat 151b about having the Geula in today's time and age and this life that we're in now without any changes happening. So I think that's pretty interesting. But needless to say, we have to experience the redemption in our own homes first. You know, like if you want to change the world, you have to start with yourself. If you can change yourself, then you can change the world. Hafiz Chaim brought that down. You know, that's how the whole Lashon, Shimras HaLashon began. You know, just a, a beautiful revolution of using our mouth for uh, a Masink Tikkun. Which, by the way, uh, when you are reciting all of the Seder, the Magid, and going through all the steps and calling out, you know, Urchatz and Karpis and Moror, and you're doing the Manishtana and all that. Everything you're doing with your mouth is tikkuning for all of your lies, for all of your Lashon Hara, for all of your cheating, for all of your just improper things that should not have come out of our lips. You know, now I truly understand why Yaakov brings down in his Egedit that, you know, how can blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth? You know, you don't have clean water and impure water coming out of one fountain. So when I look at that, I'm thinking, oh, so our mouth is like a fountain. So Bezrat Hashem, may our mouths be fountains of living water. And if they haven't been, may it begin even now, as we head into Pesach, because going through the Seder, as Rabbi Griffin brought down in the Aliyah Day, we're like born again, we're born anew, and everything we recite is like the first time we're reciting it, the first words as a Jew. So we get to become a newborn, like every time we do the Pesach Seder, which is why we say the Sheki Yanu, because it's like the first time we've done this, even though we may have done this before. So it's just kind of like, okay, connect that back to our Shabbat HaChodesh, which is the Shabbat of the renewal of renewals, because Rosh Hodesh Nisan is the source of all the renewals that happen for every month on the Jewish calendar. So now you're connecting that into Pesach, and it's just kind of like, wow. So we truly are new because you realize that when you have a child, we just learned this in Parshat Tazria, that you know, you go through seven days of uh, the woman being an imp impure 
And then on the eighth day, you bring forth the male child anyway for the Brit Milah. But if it's a girl child, then it's a 14 day period. And then, you know, the purification happens and then you go into the rest of the the waiting before you bring the sacrifices and things like that. So that is our timeline here of our 8th of Nisan to our 14th of Nisan, which is like Shabbat Hagadol and Erev Pesach. So you got all that down, and then we're not even going to go there with all the cross-references to Tishrei, because you got Yom Kippur and Sukkot, and either way, there's this give or take three to four days between uh, those happenings. So, yeah, all right. Not three to four, four to five would be a more accurate terminology, but yeah, you know, so just being a newborn and being in this place of purification, uh, because ultimately our father and our mother are considered the father being wisdom, the mother being understanding. So, you know, just celebrating with our parents, our wisdom and our understanding that comes from Hashem, you know, and there's all sorts of Kabbalistic ties into Abba and Ima and all that kind of stuff. So that's beyond the scope of this podcast, even though there's not really much that I would like to have beyond the scope, but you know, it's only so much time and I've already used a lot of it. So now here we go. Let the sources flow. First thing is Le Kute Torah uh, from the Laws of Pesach. So I love this Le Kute Torah series. They just so legit. They have the laws of and customs of Pesach. And so here's an excerpt, an excerpt from this uh, work of get you some. So first off, the obligation to clean the home from comments. Ready? The biblical obligation from the Admor 431.2 says, if rather than destroying the comments, one wants to just nullify it and disown it, it's meaningless. Regarding fulfilling the Torah command, once the biblical time of eating and benefiting from the prohibition and benefit Prohibition of Hametz has arrived, which is from midday of the 14th and onwards. Hang on to midday of the 14th, because this right here is talking about the nullification of Hametz, which is the enticement of the Yetzahara to puff us up and cause us to be haughty and lead us into sin. So just think about that for a second. That's what Hametz represents, okay? Hametz represents that haughtiness, that puffing us up and things like that, that are the precursor to what leads us away into sin and death. So that is taken out by midday of the 14th of Nisan. I'm going to go ahead and spoil it. It's, the, it's called the sixth hour. And I can't recall, but I think there was something that happened that was like nullifying our spiritual comments and our physical bodies and our souls. And it was done by uh, Mashiach, Yeshua, like the Pesach lamb or something. I can't remember. Help me out. Yes. Oh, yes. The sixth hour, the, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was darkness because he was on the stake. Okay. So anyway, more on that. Back to you, Bob. 
Okay, so from midday and onwards, there was a prohibition to eating and benefiting from hamets. But if rather than destroying the hamets, one wants to just nullify and disown it and make it meaningless. Okay, that's basically what that first part is. I had to rewind that back. As since one is prohibited from benefiting from it, he is no longer or he no longer retains any rights to the hamets and is thus not at all not his at all anymore therefore he can no longer nullify it and disown it as it is no longer legally owned by him however before the time of the benefit prohibiting one may nullify and disown the hamets and may after doing so biblically leave the hamets with him in his house throughout the days of pesach as one only biblically transgresses Baal Yarea Yerea and Baal Yitz Yimatze Yimatze there we go on Hametz that which he owns which he has not disowned okay so these are a couple of different other works of halakhic uh, discussion that talk about the fact that basically when you speak the Braca, just going to synthesize this because it's kind of crazy, I realize. When you speak the nullification Braca, you literally nullify Hametz. It doesn't exist to you anymore. This is how powerful our speech is. This is why the fact that we're using it to pray for the return of Mashiach and to pray for the final Geula and to pray for the bringing in of proselytes and to pray for Hashem to just blow our ever-loving minds with his amazingness and grow us in his Torah, his Avodah, his Chesed. Like, this is why that is so important, because there is literal stock in it, no matter who you are. Hashem is close to those who call out for him. Like, think about that for a second. Because sometimes we feel like, man, I wish I was more holy so God would listen to me. I mean, maybe you don't think that, but I do sometimes. But that's already just a bad attitude because it's just like, oh, you think because you're holy? Like, that's going to make a shim listen to you then you really think about that statement you're just like that's not good homeboy because like you're giving yourself clout before the king of the universe like you're going to tell him what makes you significant and it's just kind of like back back give him 50 feet you know kind of thing but i digress because when you think about, again, go back, going back to the nullification, when you say the Braca, you literally do, as far as the heavenly court is concerned, the Hametz is nullified. So all your little crumbs that may have been in a crook or a crevice somewhere that you couldn't get to, maybe in your house or in your car, at your desk. You know, or if you didn't get time to really move all your furniture around and vacuum behind it or whatnot, that's nullified. So everything that you were physically able to get to, everything that you were physically able to see, you removed it. And then you say that Braca. Oh, my goodness. Like, it's legit. And so they're breaking down the fact that, okay, so maybe you said the Braca, but you didn't disown it. You know, like, you know, you have hamets in your cabinet, but you close your cabinet 
and you set the notification bracket and now it's just sitting in your cabinet all throughout PaySock. So then that's a level of, okay, so it doesn't belong to you, but now you have hummets in your possession. Bezrat Hashem, you don't partake of it, <laughs> you know, so there's all that kind of stuff. And so I don't really want to get into all of that, but just to say the fact of what is the true obligation is getting rid of hummets and you got to do it by the sixth hour, you know, and I think that is so incredible that that's really the time. And here we are under Rabbi Griffin knowing that we need to get it done as soon as possible, which we get that done at 10 o'clock in the morning. Okay. Like central standard time, 10 o'clock is gone. Like we waiting on the sixth hour. Like we ain't trying to be at the sixth hour scrambling because at the sixth hour, we realize something monumental is happening. Something is shifting literally in, in all the world's because it is no coincidence at all that Mashiach was offered from Shakarit to Minka. Like, he was up there for a little bit, you know? And you think about what's actually going on and go back to the, uh, just go back to Pirkei Rebbe Eliezer on the whole Akidah account, and you'll find that Abraham and Yitzhak started the Akidah at Shakarit. You know, that's why Abraham woke up so early, you know, and did the three day journey thing. And then they got there and it was just kind of like, wow, okay, here we go. And so, I mean, that was a big, pretty big deal. And so anyway, but Mashiach Yeshua actually actualizes all of that because Yitzhak wasn't able to be offered starting at Shakari. He didn't make it up on the Mizbeach via the Ram until after the, the, first hour that you can start the minka prayer so it wasn't until minka technically that the first akidah wasn't uh carried out so you got this whole picture of a shadow of things to come that the akidah is gonna start at shakari and it's gonna go through minka so yeah anyway to continue it says that if one nullifies comments and disowns it prior to the sixth hour on Erev Pesach, i.e. Betul. What we got to understand is Betul is the same words as, uh, first of all, it's the same words as Tavl. Same letter as Tavl, Sika. And Tavl means to immerse yourself in a mikveh. Okay, like dip or immerse like what we're going to be doing to all the veggies like especially the carpus and the egg which by the way when you start your actual uh shulkan orek when you have your meal part of your seder make sure you take that boiled hard-boiled egg dip it in your salt water and eat that first as you start your meal just just do it i mean it's it's legit now i save an ishba get you some Okay, we got to partake of that offering, but you got the fact that you are basically immersing yourself in nullification before Hashem when you take out your homage and you enter into Pesach. So you enter into Pesach with a renewal of Betul. 
And then it says, he is not required to clean his house from chametz, and the chametz may remain in his home throughout the entire Pesach. If, however, one does not want to nullify his chametz and disown it or did not do so for whatever reason, and the sixth hour has already arrived, when the time of the owning chametz prohibition arrives, i.e. the beginning of the seventh hour, he is biblically obligated to check and search all his possessions for comets and completely destroy it from the world. So at this point, you got to take it out and destroy it. I mean, this is really cool that this is the grace of Hashem in the Torah that you technically, you should be like in big trouble. But it's like, you know what? I'm going to give you just one hour, you know, to really take care of something that should have been done a long time ago. But for some reason, if there's heavy procrastination going on, it's just like, I really wish you wouldn't do that. But if you do, uh, you need to make sure that by the seventh hour, like it is search and destroy. Like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I did this. This is not just a lazy way out of just kind of, you know, doing that because ultimately, this is bringing down the biblical obligation. This is truly the letter of the law, which even the letter of the law, according to this halakha right here, which is ridiculous, is full of the spirit, which I think we already knew. But I think it's just worth reiterating that we're just reading strictly plain Peshat. Remove hummets from your home. That must be done before the four, the sixth hour of the 14th of Nisan. And then just like, well, if that didn't happen, then by the seventh hour, then it's search and destroy, you know, because if for whatever reason you didn't nullify it, disown it, then now you got to like really destroy it. Hence why there was darkness over the face of the earth from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, because it's just kind of like any hummets that made it past this point like made it past the sixth hour like it's lights out literally kind of thing so uh now let's get into the rabbinic on it check it out so this is from where are we gonna go for this again from the admor 431.3 i mean i guess that's just the uh that's just the source okay so 431.2 is the other one now it's 431.3 okay so the next section of that work is saying the above ability to do Batul and disown the Hamits before the sixth hour and then be able to leave the Hamits in his home is only from a biblical perspective. However, Chazal, the sages, decreed that doing Batul and disowning Hamits is meaningless. Two, avoiding the prohibition of owning the hummets even when done before the time of the benefit prohibition arrives, i.e. the sixth hour. After the hummets in the holes and the hidden areas, if it is common to use these areas throughout the year and to check and remove any hummets found within the entire property and destroy it or places it in a public area as will be explained. So, yeah, so it's just kind of like 
it's kind of meaningless if you're going to say the notification Braca and just kind of have hummets in your home and in your public areas that are not crooks and crevices. So it's like you got a bag of um, kosher chips just sitting out there, but they're not kosher for Pesach. And just like, yeah, yeah, I nullified it. It's just kind of like, well, according to the Chazal, it's meaningless if you nullify it without like getting rid of it and disowning it. Because why are they there? Don't answer that. Just get rid of them. <laughs> but anyway, it says the sages decree that nullifying and disowning one's hummus before Pesach, i.e. Betul, is ineffective if it remains in one's home and the hummus remains within one's ownership. Rabbinically, even if one disowns it. Okay? Thus, therefore Pesach, or therefore thus before Pesach, one must clean all of his possessions from Hamets, just like he would biblically be required to perform even if he does not disown it. One who disowns his Hamets but does not remove it from his property transgresses the rabbinical prohibition of Baal Yara'e and Baal Yimatze. So yeah. So yeah, uh, it's pretty much just get rid of it. Don't try to leave it hanging around. Make sure you disown it. Make sure you nullify it and make sure you get it out and destroy it. And besides, who doesn't like playing with fire? Go burn something. Burn up your hummets with your lulav if you were so privileged to keep yours. And connect your Pesach with your Sukkot and uh, Baruch Hashem. So anyway... Interesting start here, uh, cleaning for Pesach. I just think it's so cool that, you know, what we're doing is spiritual and physical, like all wrapped up together. Mucho importante. Make sure we do it. All right. So while we're on that tangent, just a couple of things about um, the Seder plate. First thing is the carpus. This is cited by Dr. Sakal. Shouts out to my homeboy, homeboy. Um, he's talking about uh, an insight from his Passover Haggadah, which I know he has probably like five or six, because he's trying to be like his rabbi, who has like 12 or 13. And then it says, so by the way, why are we getting so many Haggadot? Like, come on. Well, I guess it's the fact that there's something to the Haggadah, like the Haggadah means the telling. So obviously we're supposed to tell the gospel like all the time. So it to me seems like we're really like amping up, you know, sharing the gospel because truly the gospel is being redeemed from slavery and brought into freedom, receiving the Torah and newness of life so yeah anyway if you really want to share the gospel get you a Haggadah and do it follow it listen share it you know and eat and I was thinking about this Haggadah and it's just kind of like well the one time we get to eat our way out of exile and into the Geula we eat our way out of slavery and into freedom so food for thought 
Okay. The carpus at the Seder plate thus evokes Yosef's coat, just comes out swinging. The object that led to the exile. Good night. Rabenu Manoak. Okay, so here is the little note. You ready? I mean, that was the note. But I just got to read some more of this. Okay. So you dip and eat the carpus. Literally, carpus, which it looks like. Oh my goodness. Carpus represents, or if you, you can break it up into two words Kippur Samic. Okay, like the atonement of Samic, you know, and Samic means to rest and lean on, to shield, to depend. So that with atonement. So a shield of atonement, basically, is what you're looking at. That's Carpus. Okay, and this represents Yosef's coat, the object that led in exile. Good night. Because Hashem uses that which wounds, he also uses that same thing to heal. So the fact that we dipped Yosef's coat in lamb's blood, now we must dip the carpus in tears because we regret that we sold Yosef. And now we're bringing that back to Hashem and we're crying out to Hashem for the redemption to bring us out of exile that we brought on ourselves. Wow. Well, that's just, I don't even want to read this insight anymore. Okay, I do, I do, I do. Just kidding. Okay. Yosef Robe. Uh, he did not shared this little drop but i'm gonna read it anyway because it's on his page he highlighted his little sections that he wanted us to look at but it says in addition to the intriguing or in addition to intriguing the children and reminding us of crushing labor the carpus ritual evokes many other ideas freedom yosef's robe medicinal properties and two dippings the first dip, I'm going to go straight to that. You know I'm going to do it, okay, because of the tovel, toveling. Why are we dipping twice, as one of the Manishtana questions are, right? Says, the first dipping of the carpus alludes to the events that led to our descent into Mitzrayim. The second dipping, which is the maror, alludes to the mitzvah for which we merit to ascend, so I just want to say, I don't know where Rabbi Anava got this from, but he was talking about the maror and the fact that we're dipping. And now that I'm reading this in this Haggadah about the ascent, he said in his uh, teaching, his shu'ur, that um, when you're dipping in the maror, it represents the resurrection, newness of life. And he totally did not say where that source came from. So he just does drive-bys. And I think that he needs to start sourcing it out. But that's just me. You can't just drop stuff like that and be like, yeah, 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 I know. It's Kabbalah, Hasidus. Okay, source it, please. Because that's ridiculous. Okay, so, but this Haggadah says, the first dipping, the descent, alludes to the brothers dipping Yosef's coat into animal blood and to fool Yaakov into thinking that Yosef had been devoured by a wild animal. The ascent. 
The second dipping alludes to when Hashem commanded us to dip hyssop into blood and place the blood on our doorposts prior to the plague of the firstborn. Okay, so yeah, there's that. Oh my goodness. Okay, so Parsha Vayeshev, totally my Torah portion that I was born under Baruch Hashem. The robe of Yosef is called Ketanet Pasim, a fine woolen robe. Commenting on the word Pasim, Rashi, Rashi, well, Rashi, Rashi relates, my country voice, Rashi relates it to the word Karpis. Pasim is also related to Karpis, according to Rashi. This is an expression referring to the fine woolen garments as in Esther 1.6. Carpets of carpus. That's a tongue twister. Green wool. Carpets of green wool. The carpus at the Seder thus evokes Yosef's coat, the object that led to the exile. Again, Rebenu Manoach. Man, so what's the medicinal purposes? Carpus was eaten... Uh, eaten and topically applied by our ancestors in Mitzrayim to soothe their wounds and bruises, especially to reduce swelling or chot chaim. Okay, so the crazy thing about that is I don't know. Some people called Nasim, the prince leaders of the tribes who were stationed in Mitzrayim to oversee all the work that the children of Israel to do were to do. And if the children of Israel didn't make the quota, the Egyptians would come by and whip and beat the Nasim. So what we see happen to Mashiach Yeshua happened to at least 12 distinct individuals among the tribes of Israel during the exile in Mitzrayim. And Carpus was a medical remedy for that. So, yeah, and I always thought it was interesting anyway, because the carpus does kind of look like something like a like a whip of some sort, you know, kind of like something you don't want to get hit by. But uh, I mean, obviously, it's flimsy, but the form of it looks like kind of like a whip. And it's just like we're throwing that in the tears and thinking about Mashiach when he was whipped. It's just kind of like that wasn't that wasn't a good day for us to be excited about ourselves because we caused that pain and suffering upon him. But he gladly took it with all himself upon himself. You know, he did it with joy, but yet it was painful and it did hurt and he did cry. So, okay. So last thing it says freedom In celebration of our freedom, we eat in luxury enjoying an appetizer prior to the meal in the manner of the free that is from bach not to be confused with the composer bach or arnold who says i'll be bach because he shouldn't be bach like bach is bach nobody else is bach and there's apparently a jewish literature composer named bach okay Back to you, Bob. All right. So I don't know why I say that. I just think it's funny. But that's from that. Uh, some Shulchan Aruch on the Harilsit. 
the more pleasant of the, the items on our Seder plate. Check this out. So, this is coming from, by way of Shir Hashirim 8.5, because we put apples in the Hiroset. So, Shulkan Aruk on the Hiroset. It says, Shir Hashirim 8.5, who is this that comes up from the wilderness, leaning upon her beloved? I awakened you under the apple tree. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. So, just the synopsis. Beneath the apple tree I roused you when the Egyptians were seeking to destroy the Jewish people and ensure that the babies did not survive. The Gemara describes how Hashem would miraculously protect the children from the time of birth when the mothers would go out to give birth beneath the apple trees. Beneath the apple trees I aroused you refers to Hashem arousing the children to leave their mother's womb. Okay, so there wasn't this whole like, is he there yet? Is he coming yet? You know, like the baby. Like this whole delayed labor process is like, no, Hashem was like, nope, come on out. Let's go. We got to get this done. Egyptians are coming. So I think that's pretty miraculous considering the fact that there wasn't any delayed laboring going on because you really wouldn't want that to be the case when you got people that are seeking your life. It's kind of like, can we have this baby already and get going? <laughs> and yet Hashem, by the way, when that baby was born... Hashem would cause the earth to swallow up the babies so that the Egyptians could not get them. And it's just kind of like, well, the Egyptians, what were they doing? They were trying to throw all the babies in the Nile anyway. And it's just kind of like, nope, not going to get to take these babies. These are going to be uh, taken out of exile when it's time for the people to leave. So these babies spent their time being nurtured by Hashem literally overseen by one who is called a Na'ar and he uh, fed the, all the babies and took care of them and washed them and straightened their legs and everything and did that so that when it was time for the exodus these children came up out of the ground and they left with the children of Israel so that's a bunch of midrashim put together but that's this overall synopsis so this really is a opening up a, a quite a bit of uh, just beautiful midrash. So it says in the Shulchan that in commemoration of what's stated in Shir Hashirim 8.5, referring to the miracle that occurred beneath the apple tree, that the women would give birth to their children there painlessly. Uh, this is from Simonim 98 through 144. So in that volume, you can find this on the Haroset. Footnote says, This verse is expounded in Tractate Sota 11b and refers to the time that the Egyptians were seeking to destroy the Jewish people to ensure the babies did not survive. So then it brings out that, that from the Gemara. And then it says, that the rest of the verse uh, reads, There your mother was in travail for you. She who bore you was in travail. Travail refers to labor. So yeah. So there you go.
babies giving birth to and Hashem taking care of them. And that's what's happening when we add in the morosit or the horosit because there are people who are seeking our life and yet Hashem delivers us. So you've heard it said that Yaakov is called the Lamb of God and no one has been sourcing it out yet because we didn't have the direct source in front of us. Well, I have one of a few of those sources directly in front of me. And I'd like to introduce you to Rashi. I know you don't know much much about Rashi, but we do. Okay, that was a terrible lie. I'm sorry. Uh, Rashi, being too facetious here. From Bami Bar 721, the verse reads, One bull of the herd, one ram, one lamb in its first year for a burnt offering. Commentary. Kevis Echad, one lamb. In allusion to Yaakov, of whom scripture states, Bereshit 30, verse 40. And Yaakov did separate the lambs. Bami Bar Rabbah 13, 14. Okay, so you can learn all about Yaakov being a lamb, looking at Bereshit 30, verse 40, and looking at Bami Bar Rabbah 13, 14. I should also add, look at Bereshit Rabbah Parasha Vayaki about do not bury me in Egypt. That goes on for quite a few pages, but you learn about Yaakov being the lamb. And this is where we've all tied in that had Yaakov been buried in Mitzrayim, that he would have been the Lamb of God who would have taken away the sins of the world. There would have been no plagues and no exodus because the idolaters would have been atoned for just from him being buried there. So anyway, that's all that. Um, what else here? Oh, so I guess the main crux of what I want to go over is... A beautiful poem that happens at the end of the Pesach Haggadah. While I'm at it, you may have been experiencing this during this podcast. There is so much to talk about. <laughs> Understatement. So when you sit down to the Seder table, just know, believe, trust. It's going to be a long night. This is not your typical dinner. We're talking about leaving exile here. So just saying, if you were getting ready to get out of jail, I'm pretty sure it wasn't a two-step process. So with this, this is a 15-step process. And what we're really praying for is the final redemption. So obviously, it's going to be very intense. That's why you need to take advantage of leaning to the left. If someone falls asleep, give them a shot of coffee, wake them up, you know, kind of thing. Be nice. But I'm just saying there's going to be a lot going on. So breathe. If you need to take a stretching moment, do that, you know, kind of thing, because getting freed from exile is kind of a little bit of work. So make sure that you put in work. Might want to stretch before you do it. You know, have your your liquid motivation or if you need to before and during and possibly after, you know, kind of thing. So anyway, get comfy. Don't get mad at the person who's leading the Seder um, and be nice, be supportive, be interactive, smile. Smiling is great. You know, think about leaving Egypt, leaving the people who have just um, 
just improperly treated you and now that's going to stop and now you're going to be treated like a king and a queen and so just think about that just smile breathe you got all your cleaning done baruch hashem you're going to eat matzah now you're about to get real real holy you're about to get so holy that you're going to be purified from the effects of the yetzahara from now all the way through Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, if you really take advantage of this time. So really focus in, get your mind set on freedom, get your mind set on freeing from sin, walking away from bondage, walking away from impurity, walking away from unrighteousness, and being like Hashem, everything that I've been fighting for, I'm ready. I want to take it all in. And he's just like, all right, good, because I got 15 things for you. Ready? Go. And it's just like through these 15 things, we're setting ourselves up for something just no eye has seen, no ears heard. So anyway, I just want to encourage you on that. Um, went through my Haggadah again uh, today and it's just kind of like, wow, like we're really going to do this. And it's just like, yep. Just like when I looked at my kitchen and my little dining area and everything. And it's just like, oh my gosh, I'm really about to clean this. And it's just like, yep. And, you know, after some hours had passed, I wish it was like a real life time lapse because that would have been really cool to be like fastly going through, washing, toweling, scrubbing, scraping, cleaning, dumping trash, 18 bags of trash later, you know, kind of thing. It's just kind of, whoa, like what just happened? It's like awesomeness. Okay. But anyway, so with all that being said, you know, it's, it looks like a big thing, but enjoy the journey, the experience, and focus, you know, everything with our intention, everything with our words, it counts. Make it count. Do this big. Truly be a superhero. We're Avengers here. We're trying to bring the redemption. Let's do it. We don't have time to wait, by the way. If we think that we can slack off on the redemption, don't do that. Just knowing what's in store for the more and more we delay the return of Mashiach is just, do we really want to go over this? Let's just, uh, let's just fight for it and be done with it. Okay. Anyway, you think I'm just ready for the redemption or something. Like I'm ready to see the third temple with Mashiach in it and like see brothers and sisters who I never even known. And we're all in Yerushalayim going, Od Yeshama Be'are Yehuda Uvekuzol Yerushalayim Kol Sasson Vekol Singa Kol Katan Vekol Kala La-da-da-da-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-
I'm kind of like done, ready to go to sleep now, I think, or something. And it's just like, no, let's read this. So truly read it. Fight your flesh. The, the body is weak, but the spirit is willing. Okay, so check it out. So it says, this is from the Minkat Ani on the Pesach Haggadah. It says, the journey of the body is recounted in Chad Gadya. The body has its roots in one little goat. Okay, one little goat. Chad Gadya, one little goat. The goat is the symbol of Asav. Okay, so really? Okay, keep reading. Don't freak out. While the lamb is a symbol of Yaakov. Here we go again. Yaakov is called a lamb. Asav's called a goat. That's interesting. Oh, man. Okay, so back to the carpets for a second. This just hit me like a ton of bricks or a train. That Yosef's coat, right? It was dipped in blood. What was it dipped in? The blood of a goat, which was Asaph, right? So, like, Mashiach Yeshua is totally, like, dipped in Asaph, like, right about 2,000 years and now, you know? That he's covered in Rome. He sits at the gates of Rome, which is like into Edom, which is like into Asaph. So, the fact that this is saying the goat is a symbol of Asaph, and that's what Yosef's coat was dipped in. That was what led us into exile. Because you you know Mashiach Yeshua know, knew and knows that we were going into exile before he was offered. That's why he said, take heart, I've overcome the world. Uh, I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back. But it's cool. Just you know, know these things are going to happen. I'm going somewhere. I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know where I'm going. And then uh, right before he ascends into the clouds, which, by the way, according to Zohar's pillar of fire, come on, man, says that you are to go out and you're to make Talmudim of all the nations. And I will be with you until the end of the age. Something to the effect of I will be with you throughout this exile until we meet again. But in the meantime, you know what you're supposed to be doing. So go do it. Be busy until I get back. Clean this place up. You know, I've helped you, gave you a good start. Go ahead and finish it out. Which is kind of cool because it's like the father, when he has a young son, it's like they're going to work on a project together. Well, the father does pretty much all the big heavy lifting, so to speak, and all the work. And then the son can come in at the end and be like, oh, look, I put on a little sticker. And the father's like, oh, my goodness, what did you build? This is amazing. That's pretty much what it's like because we get to operate as the quote unquote second Adam now because the second Adam began this work that he will finish. But in the meantime, we're the workmanship of Mashiach that is supposed to be doing all these good works of Torah Chesed, bringing in light and bringing salvation to the nations and teaching all mankind Torah. And Hashem will count that as if you know, we've tacooned the world because ultimately the world will be tacooned in Mashiach Yeshua, which is why his return is so important. It's not for us. It's not for just being like, woohoo, we get to go home. But like, no, the whole world gets to be made new again. So, Rukashim. 
just wanted to bring that out that Asaph is the goat and Mashiach is dipped in Asaph and then the lamb is a symbol of Yaakov. And then you have the fact that when the birthright was needing to be possessed, like taken, that Yaakov was clothed in the garments of Asaph. And it was the voice of Yaakov with the hands of Asaph. Because, you know, blood brings atonement. And the blood of Yeshua is what we're sprinkled with. And that cleanses us from our evil and impurity and our evil consciences. So you got this Chad God Yah over here bringing this down. One little goat, one little lamb. And then it says, we learn in the Talmud, Rabbi Zerah asked Rabbi Yehuda, why do goats march at the head of the flock and then sheep? He said to him, it is like the world's creation in which darkness precedes light. Shabbat 77a. All right. So now we're in Shabbat, Tractate Shabbat. Not the actual Shabbat yet. We're coming soon to a table near you. Okay. Shabbat 151b. It was also taught in a Bereta with regard to the appreciation of life. Rabbi Shimon ben Eleazar says, perform mitzvot while you still find opportunities and you have the financial means and you are still under your own control. Okay, that's a big statement right there. Just let that sink in for a second. Perform the mitzvot, find the opportunities, take advantage of the financial means and while you're still under your own control. Okay, while you still have your freedom to do so, do it. Okay, so it goes on. And Melech Shlomo also said in his wisdom, And remember your creator in the days of your youth before the, the evil days come. And the years arrive when you will say, I have no desire for them. That's from Kohelet, which is also known as Ecclesiastes 12.1. Rabbi Shimeon ben Eleazar explains the evil days. These are the days of old age and the years arrive when you will say, I have no desire for them. These are the days of Mashiach in which there is neither merit nor liability. First of all, that's another thing about if we don't take advantage of hastening the return of Mashiach Yeshua, we're all going to get like really, really old and it ain't going to be fun. And it's going to be really hard to do mitzvot. But it's still going to be possible, but it ain't going to be nearly as easy as it is now. Okay, so. Selah. Then the other thing, the Gemara comments that this explanation disagrees with the view of Shamuel. Oh, my goodness. So that's one opinion and there's a disagreement and both are going to be right. Man, see, this is the other thing about the canon of the Brit Hadashah is that with all the sources that are brought down by Shaul, we have no counterpoints, which is completely not Jewish. We need the other part of the conversation, man. I'm pretty sure if Kepha wrote down things, if Yochanan wrote down things, Yaakov, you know, and all the other thousands and myriads of believers in Mashiach who were in leadership, Man, if they could have all just put together just one tractate on one of the things that were talked about, like the uh, the image of the invisible, you know, the fact that Mashiach is that 
you know, from the passage in Colossians, that he is the image of the invisible. And, um, you know, just things like that, or like, what was it really meaning to say that we're no longer under condemnation? There is no condemnation in those, there's no condemnation for those who are in Mashiach Yeshua kind of thing. Who will set me free from this body of death? Previous verse. Just do a tractate upon that, you know, and it's just kind of like, well, obviously those are all Jewish teachings. So we just got to seek and search them out. <coughs> but it would be really cool just to kind of see some different opinion that would be brought down on some of those verses. And so if you come across anyone who disagrees with Shaul, it should not be such a nails on a chalkboard train wreck reaction. Because Chazal do it all the time. And the disagreement being for the sake of Hashemayim, not for the sake of saying, well, you're just completely wrong. We just disregard everything you say. But a disagreement in the fact of, well, hang on. I hear what you're saying, but I also consider this. Because the Jewish way to disagree is to disagree for the sake of Hashemayim. Because that's the only way that this will endure. And this is the only way that more and more illumination will be brought. Because there are 70 faces of Torah. Which means there are a whole lot of uh, insights that are available. So it's not just one way or two ways to see things. There's at least 70. Okay. If you uh, listen to the Torah to Pesora podcast from Parsha Medzora. We did an example of that. We're talking about the uh, encounter of Hava and the Nachash in Bereshit 3 verse 1. So that was a really cool moment. I appreciate all of y'all toward the Basura peeps. Y'all are legit. A bunch of violent people for the king and uh, violently taking hold of the kingdom. So Brugashem. All right. So anyway, continuing the Gemara comments. That this 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 explanation disagrees with the view of Shamuel, still in Shabbat 151b, says for Shamuel said there is no difference between this world and the days of Mashiach, except for subjugation to foreign kingdoms alone, from which we will be released in the messianic era. May it be soon. Come on, Hashem, bring it, please. Barukabah Hashem Adonai. It says, as it is stated, for the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall surely open your hand to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. Devarim 15, 11. This indicates that the ways of the world, including the existence of wealthy and poor socioeconomic strata, will continue forever. So, yeah. The thing about that comment is that there is no difference between this world and the days of Messiah, except for the subjugation to foreign kingdoms, which is kind of cool because this is kind of the whole thing about living in the reality of the Geula now. Like, how do we desire to be with our brothers and sisters? We desire to be people who are filled with Ahavat Kinam, with baseless love and filled with Lashon Kodesh which is holy tongue, which is nothing but positive, uplifting, sleek, edifying speech. And so that's what we want. 
so we can live like that now. You know, if we hear about our brothers struggling or if we can do something to help them, if we can just speak a word to help them know that our prayers are truly uh, taken stock of, you know, so the fact that we're all praying for Esther, I mean, it's so beautiful because, by the way, telling 22 is something to be prayed during this time period, actually, from like pouring the Pesach. Is specifically in bringing in proselytes and praying for the Geula and things like that. So I think it's really interesting that for such a time as this, not only does Lapid exist, <clears throat> but the need for praying for Esther, Batsera, exists, and that the prayer that we're praying is Tehillim 22. I mean, come on, man. That's... That's amazing. Only Hashem could do that. Use someone suffering for the salvation of the world. Man. So, yes. Shouts out to Dr. Sakal and Esther. Praying for Hashem to work mighty, miraculous miracles. Praying for life. Praying for Shalom. Praying for Refua Shlema. And praying for just Hashem to do mighty, miraculous things. Amen. Fullness of health, renewed like a youth. Amen. May you all be blessed in the merit and in the name of Mashiach Yeshua. Alright, so jump from there into Lakute Torah. Interestingly enough, I opened this up to see if there was anything on Pesach. And it, then I found that uh, little drop on the Hametz removal. But then I saw this in Vayaki talking about Yemot HaMashiach which are the days of Mashiach, Messianic times. Obviously, we have a shadow of that going on, and the reality is ultimately found in Mashiach, so that's why we really want him to be here, so that we can experience it, what we're getting first fruits of. So it starts off by saying this in Parashat Vayaki. It says, Chazal, the sages, and Brakot, 34b and Sanhedrin 91b state that there will be no difference between the world today and the world in the times of Mashiach, which is called Yemot HaMashiach. Which, by the way, we say that Bracha in the Birkat Hamazon, Hashem may you make us worthy of the days of the, or make us worthy of the life in the days and time of Mashiach. Yeah, like that. The days of Mashiach and the life of the, the world to come. Such a legit bracha, man. Brukashim. King Yehiratzon. Okay. So, no difference between the world today and the world in the times of Mashiach, with the exception that in the times of Mashiach, we will no longer be subjugated to other nations. That's really cool, man. I just cannot wait to get out of Egypt. Like, tired of it. Tired of it. Okay, at first, this statement sounds most puzzling as Jewish tradition hails Yemot HaMashiach as the greatest experience one can live through. Okay? Our books are filled with prophecies of the greatness of, of the greatness of that time on both the physical and spiritual planes. Loaves of bread will grow from the earth. Man, I cannot wait to eat like fresh challah from the ground. Like that grew out of the ground, not literally on the ground, but you know what I'm saying. 
You, you know what I'm saying. Okay, anyway. Like, straight up, man. Fresh grown holler. Need some of that. Okay, but first, we must have matzah. Okay. So then it says, all the pleasures of the world will fill the world like dust. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of dust in the world. Namely, the fact that people have so many allergies that come from those dusts and other seeds and plants and stuff that are in the air. So to know that pleasures of the world will fill the world just like dust, that's insane. It's crazy. I love donuts. And I love challah. And I love kosher Pop-Tarts. And I cannot imagine having an abundance of that like I see dust in the world. Because dust... Is in the places that you really don't want it to be in. Like, you know, your kitchen floor or your patio or your door, your entry to your your house, you know. And it's just kind of like, why is this dust everywhere? And it's just like, because in the Olamaba, this is how pleasures are going to be. Pleasures of the world are going to be like this dust that's everywhere. So that's cool. Thanks for bringing that down. And then it says, the knowledge of God will fill the earth like water covering the sea. Oh my goodness. I love praying that bracha every Shabbat. May Hashem help me to pray it more and harder. Okay. So they do that, right? Um, let me drop this down. The Alter Rebbe explains that the times of Mashiach and the times in which the above wonders will take place are two distinct errors. Errors, not errors. They're not, they're not wrong. They're so right. It says, with Yemot HaMashiach still being part of the era in which we perform the service of God to merit the above prophetic tidings, <clears throat> this leads to the question as to what then is the essential difference between the exile and the times of Mashiach? So, yeah, does that. And then it says, I'm going to go ahead and just read the rest of this. Okay. I'm just going to read it. The Marmar, the teaching here, delves into this discussion and concludes with great clarity the differences of the purpose of our service to Hashem today and that which we will perform when Mashiach comes. This understanding leaves one with greater perspective and understanding of our service of Hashem today and that which awaits us in the times of Mashiach. May he speedily come, or may he come speedily in our days. Amen. I say amen to that. <clears throat> so, I was flipping through one of the things that says, uh, that's a whole bunch of questions over there. So, the first one, it says, the epitome of serving God through Torah and mitzvot. In today's time, of exile there are many mitzvot that we cannot fulfill and it says that um almost four entire books of the rambams with a mem yad ha chazaka the mighty hand of god by the way so there's a verse apparently in the brit hadashah canon that says humble yourselves under the mighty hand of god i believe it was penned by kepha and so the mighty hand of God is a work of Halakha that was later written by Rambam. 
because obviously Kefa preceded Rambam. So I wonder where Kefa got this Yad Hakazaka from. Probably the same place Kefa got it from. Just going to guess. And it says that almost four entire books of this work are no longer applicable today and their mitzvot cannot even be observed. And then it says, therefore, one cannot say that in today's times we fulfill the epitome of serving God through Torah, which is a phrase that says Hayom La Asotam, like serving him today, like the epitome of that. And it says this is a prerequisite for the times of the Le Kabel Shekharim. The time where we will be receiving rewards. The performance of these. Wow. Barukatah Adonai Eloheinu Menaka Olam Shekoko Ugvrato Male Olam. It's thunderstorming over here and Braka time. Okay. So, which is a prerequisite for the times of that? Okay. The performance of these mitzvot will only take place in the times of Mashiach. May he come speedily in our times when we will once again have full sovereignty of Eretz Israel, rebuild the Beit HaMikdash, gather in the exiles. Thus, the true fulfillment of Hayom La'asotam will only take place in Yemot HaMashiach. So, quick thing that says uh, Korbanot are the main avoda of the times of Mashiach. And currently, this is called the service of prayer. So just the way we're praying now is the way we'll be offering the Korban note when Mashiach returns. So, when we, uh, by the way, this drops down, just continuing to read because this is so incredible i love reading about the coming of mashiach i love praying about it uh it says that when you want to express love of hashem this cleanses your mitzvot <coughs> so if you're gonna do mitzvot make sure you do it with the love of hashem basically uh let's see here in order for a mitzvah to draw down godliness below, it must be performed with joy. So, by the way, you can really be joyful when you're saying a bracha over your bread or if you're saying a bracha after you eat a meal. Really do that with joy because that draws down godliness. That's like insane. Okay, so anyway, the verse is due to that you did not serve Hashem with joy. Okay, so there's a verse in Devarian that brings that down that uh, really causes us to be under a curse because if we serve Hashem but not enjoy, then that's not good. But if we serve Hashem and enjoy, check that out. It's amazing. This kind of reminds me of draw water with joy from the wells of Yeshua. It says, this joy is a result of contemplating that in the process of performing the mitzvah, one becomes united and attached to Hashem. Yeah, that just happened. And the process of performing the mitzvah, one becomes united and attached to Hashem. Many members of one body, much. Becoming one in Mashiach Yeshua, much. 
This is an expression of the white yain, hamisameak. Hamisameak. Okay, yain hamisameak. Okay, it says, however, as a prerequisite to being able to reveal this joy in his attachment to God, one must first arouse yain hamishaker, the red wine. So white wine is yain hamisameak. So the yain, okay, hamisameak, the wine of the drawn joy or from joy. The wine from joy, which is called white wine, yain hamisameak, because sameak means like uh, joy. And hamishaker is the red wine, which is... uh, Shaker. Oh, the reward. Like uh, Sheen Kafresh, which is commonly called Sakar or Shaker, which is, oh, this is the wine that we use for the libation and the uh, the Corbin Tamid. If you look at it, it says pour out the wine and it's libation upon the altar with the cordahine of oil. Like it uses the word Shaker in there. So that's what this is talking about, which is a red wine. Okay, Baruch Hashem, putting all these connections together. Thank you, Hashem. So, a prerequisite to being able to reveal the joy and attachment to God, one must first arouse the red wine within his soul. So, sacrificing ourselves, basically. Offering ourselves with the Corbin. It says, in order to feel a true pleasure and delight in being attached to God, one must first arouse a dire thirst and passion for him. That comes from feeling of distance and pain due to separation from him. It's kind of like if I'm not doing a mitzvah, if I'm not studying, if I'm not praying, oh my goodness, I feel, I feel an angst. I feel just like disconnected. Hashem, I don't like it. It's just like, what can I do? It's like, oh, I'm thirsty. Let's get a glass of water and say a bracha with joy. And there we go. We're back connected to Hashem again. Because part of our... uh, mitzvah keeping is being thankful for things so anytime we're doing thanksgiving anytime we have something to be thankful for that's like doing a mitzvah and it's automatic joy because best right Hashem you're joyful about what you're thankful about so then it says the more one arouses this yearning and desire the greater will be the pleasure which is called ta'anug which is related to the word oneg it says, so the more you do this, the greater will be the ta'anug in attaching to a shim. So, yeah, there you go. There's that. I saw something in here about the 613 mitzvot. Let's see if I can find that again. I believe it was in, yeah. You know, we don't get to do this parsha this week. Slika, but a parsha, a kare mot. Which is followed by Kedoshim. Normally they're read together, but this year, since it's a leap year, they're read separately. And due to the setback of the week of Pesach and the following week of Pesach, we will not be um, doing a Kare Mot, not for this week or next week. So it'll be a while. But in Yerushalayim, however, they're going to continue on with the Parshot. And so if you live outside of Yerushalayim, you will technically be a week behind until we get to Shabbat. 
And then before we get to Shavuot, we'll be back on the same uh, track with Parsha Bechukotai. Because it's something to the effect of getting all getting through all the blessings and cursings, curses before we get to Shavuot because it's such a, a wonderful uh, occasion. So anyway, for some reason, that little break happens uh, in the Parshot during this time. So anyway, don't really know the fullness of that, but I remember going over this last year and Shona Pinkus brought it down, Rabbi Anaba brought it down, and even our Rabbi Griffin, by the way, I think he mentioned it at some point. So, I mean, it's just, it's all around. So you can look into that more if you really, really need to. But in the meantime, here's a little drop from Tor Lakute Torah on Akari Mot. Attaching one's soul garments to the 613 commands in the Torah. This is from the Tanya chapter four. Oh, wow. We got some Tanya up in here. In Tanya, the Alter Rebbe emphasizes another important reason why every Jew must study the entire Torah. It is mainly required in order to bind all of the 613 aspects of his soul with Hashem, which, by the way, what are those 613 aspects? One of them is the 248 organs and the 365 sinews. 248 plus 365 equals 613. The other thing that makes 613 is our thought, our speech, and our deeds. 613 aspects of those. And so with all that, we're attaching to Hashem. So it says, Every Jew contains three soul garments called thought, speech, and action, or deeds, by the way. One's mission in this world is to attach each one of these soul garments to Hashem. This is accomplished by attaching them to the 613 mitzvot of the Torah through physically fulfilling the 613 mitzvot, verbalizing the learning of the 613 mitzvot and all its details and thinking of all that he can comprehend of the 613 mitzvot. When one does so, all of the 613 strands of his soul are attached to the 613 mitzvot of the Torah. Okay, 613, 613, 613. There are five times that was mentioned there <laughs> and the sixth over here so six orders of mishnah by the way which is the shas which is called the oral torah talmud or um zafanat paneach the decipherer of the hidden so yeah 613 aspects of our being attach it and connected to a shim and our thoughts our speech and our deeds which is another reason why we need to speak out our Torah, which is kind of cool because I feel so privileged to be able to do these podcasts. And I bless the name of Hashem for that because I literally get to speak out all of my Torah gleanings, which I'm just mind blown. Like even on a week where we don't have a Torah portion, I just felt like, oh, snap. Like um, there's a ride that I w got to go on at Country USA. It's a water park. It was a long time ago. But you get in there and they put you in this tube and they, they close it and you're standing up and you're leaned back at like less than a 45 degree angle. 
and you kind of slanted and the floor just got water just gushing down through like this drain pipe and you're just standing there and you got this big opening in front of you, a big window. You're, everybody's looking at you and you know, the person who's in charge of the ride, they're looking at like, are right, you ready? And you're like, no, I'm not ready. And they're like, three, two, one. Then they hit the button. The floor drops out. The room goes dark and you're just going and you're just like way up in the air and you're just going down this tunnel system. And all of a sudden, what, I guess a minute or so, you're just, you're splashing out into this open pool and you're just kind of like, oh my gosh, what just happened? I believe that ride was called the drop zone. I could be wrong, but it was just crazy. And that's kind of what it felt like this week where it's just like, you ready? You ain't about to have no tour portion. You about to get all the insights in the world. And Rabbi Griffin's going to go crazy on the Aliyah day because he's going to do preparing your heart for Pesach. And it's going to be absolutely just unfair. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, sure. I think I'm ready. No, wait, wait. Bleep. You know, we're gone. It's like, okay, well, Baruch Abba Shem, I don't know. Okay, anyway. Um, let's go to the parasha from Rebbe Nachman. Let's knock it out of the park on the way out. So, yes, this is coming into the final descent. Here we go. Flight terms for the podcast. Okay, so we'll start in chapter 12. I want to get to chapter 13. But let's start in chapter 12. So I thought I tabbed it. I did. Brukashim. Chapter 7, or wow. Chapter 12, verse 17. Ve or Ushmarta, Ushmartem. Ushmartem. And you shall guard. Et Hamatzot. First off. You can translate that same phrase, you shall guard the matzot, to you shall guard the mitzvot. Ki be'etzem hayom hazeh, hodzeti et zivotekem me'eretz mitzrayim. Okay? Okay, so check this out. So, ki be'etzem hayom hazeh, we went over this in the Pesach prep, Drosh, but this was about today hearing his voice, like doing it today. So literally, if you guard the mitzvot, okay, like all of us, kol echad, for this is the essence of the day that is today, Hashem, it says, he will take us, all of our legions, from the land of Egypt. And then he keeps going and says, Ush Martem. At Yom Hazeh Le Dorotekim Hukat Olam, which normally translates and carefully observe this day throughout your generations, it is an eternal decree, can also be, and you shall guard the day today for your generations as an everlasting statute. So, just, uh, Looking at the fact of guarding the mitzvot and guarding the day. Every single day and every single mitzvah is about being taken out as an army and delivered from Egypt, from slavery, and uh, remembering this for all time. So real quick, 
I don't even know if I'm going to be able to find this, which is probably setting myself up for failure. But Rod Hashem is not. But just in case I do, I want to let you know that there was an article posted by Chabad that talked about being being in the army of Hashem. Let's see if I can find it. Talking about your being an army. There we go. God's army. Okay, so this is brought down by Mendel Kalmensen. Mendel Kalmensen, not to be confused with Mendel Kessen. But he's talking here and he starts out, he says, well, this is kind of picking up a little bit. It says a, a quote from Winston Churchill, the power of man has grown in every sphere except over himself. The Jewish people are referred to by many descriptions throughout scripture. They are called God's nation, his servants, his priests, his children. But in the book of Shemot, as the Israelites are about to leave Egypt after the plague struck down their Egyptian oppressors, they are called God's God's army. It was at the end of 430 years And it was on this very day that all of God's soldiers had left the land of Mitzrayim. But, or it says God's soldiers, question mark. But hadn't the Egyptian army just been conquered, question mark. It is true that the Jewish people's external enemy had been vanquished, but the internal ones were about to be confronted. So I love that because... When it comes to being a part of the legions of Hashem, it's about us fighting our inner battles. And so he drops this down from the uh, creating a children's army of God. It's a work of writing. He says that, This brings us to the point that although the ideal of shalom is so prominent in the Torah as mentioned, the fact is that God designed and created the world in a way that leaves man subject to an almost constant inner strife, having to wage relentless or wage relentless a battle with the Yetzirah. This is the only kind of battle the Zivot which is the army of Hashem are called upon to wage. So that's really cool because obviously uh, that's Romans seven, the battle that we wage. So we should be not surprised if we're having this inner struggle and this inner battle to get out of exile. Uh, And furthermore, every single day, every single mitzvah, we're going to have to fight ourselves, And it's just like, yeah, because we're in the army. So Baruch Hashem, that we are avengers and we fight and we avenge. Okay. Heavy on the hover part. Then it says to be successful in this relentless inner struggle, we need to build up an arsenal of meditations and exercises that strengthen our willpower and self-control. These tools are the greatest gifts we can give our children to help them succeed in their lifelong battle for self-development. So, yeah, 
I just wanted to bring that out because I just love the whole fact that the army is about fighting your inner struggle. Your external enemies all day can be vanquished, but if you're not doing anything for your internal enemies, might want to recalibrate. Okay, heavy artillery arsenal, and this is the whole meaning of getting rid of the hummets. The biggest hummets that we have in our homes is us. And what did Rabbi Griffin say in the Aliyah? He said, or in the Preparing Your Heart for Pesach, uh, day three, he talked about the Torah is the fire and we're supposed to burn up the hummets. So use Torah to burn up the hummets. If you have struggles in particular areas, go to the areas of Torah that are beautiful and burning up those areas. So if you want to learn about you know, getting rid of the, the hummets of anger, then you need to study about not being angry and study about being filled with joy and, and do that, you know, cause an overhaul and an overturn in your system, if you will, because you need to have anger, but it needs to be properly balanced, you know, so understanding sections of when was Moshe angry and it was totally fine. When was Yeshua angry and it was totally fine? How do you be angry and do not sin? You know, looking into things like that. So anyway, burn up the hummets, the real true hummets, which is inside of us. I mean, may it be so. Hashem help us to get rid of our hummets for a hummets free Pesach. Coming to a table near you. Okay. So back to 1217, really reading the verse like it is without the other interpretation i just saw guard the matzahs because on this very day i took you i took your legions out of the land of egypt and carefully observed this day throughout your generations it is an eternal decree so pesach is one of those things that's just going to happen forever it's eternal so if we're ever thinking oh hashem changed this festival and it's now something else that has to do with hopping to conclusions uh pun intended heavily on the bunny that apparently lays eggs which he probably stole because bunnies don't lay eggs so now we're going to make a holiday about you know bugs bunny who steals eggs from chickens and yeah anyway something to the effect of resurrection sunday and it's just like why are we doing this just celebrate pesach and call it a day or seven anyway um Guard the matzos. Do not read matzot, but mitzvot. Rebbe Nachman, seriously. It says, just as you would not let matzah ferment, don't let a mitzvah ferment. If one comes your way, do it immediately. That is Rebbe Nachman citing Rashi. He says, matzah represents faith. An acknowledgement that we cannot understand everything in life. Comets represents an inflated perspective, the belief that we can understand things that are beyond us. When a person begins to draw close to God, he must strengthen his resolve to serve God with absolute faith, even though he doesn't understand everything. Not saving Isma much? Each mitzvah is a channel for godly intellect. When we perform a mitzvah, we draw intellect with which to come closer to God and understand his ways. So we really want to get more understanding of God, basically do more mitzvah. And obviously do them with joy. 
because then you're going to draw godliness into the world as you also draw intellect. Therefore, we should never delay the performance of a mitzvah, but grab hold of it as soon as it comes our way. Lakute Halakot, volume 8, page 240a. Alright, so then, let's hop over to chapter 13. And I don't know why I want to read chapter 13. I just decided, well, we got some free time. Why don't we just do it? Um, let's see here. All right, 13.3. Moshe said to the people, remember this day that you left Mitzrayim. And the house of bondage, for God took you out of there with a strong hand. Ki be chazek or chozek yad with a strong hand. So yad chazaka with a strong hand. There, there's our connection there. With a strong hand. Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim for the house of bondage. Leaven should not be eaten. So now that we've been delivered, we want to make sure that we don't eat leaven. Okay? So leaven should not be eaten when God will bring you to the land that he swore to your forefathers to give you. Chametz represents not only fermented dough, but also a fermented mind. In order to conquer the land, one must avoid hamets, i.e. he must cleanse his mind of immoral and heretical thoughts. Thus, on Pesach, the time of the Exodus, which would lead the Jews to the Holy Land, hamets is forbidden. Lakute Halakot, Volume 7, page 292. Okay, so... Basically, this is one of the things that I uh, gleaned from Rabbi Wolby from Torch. He was talking about the fact that you got to think about the implications of the children of Israel leaving Mitzrayim. And at some point in the wilderness, they're learning everything that we glean from Parashat Medzorah. And in part of it, it talks about if... Zarat appears on the walls of your house. And it's just kind of like the children of Israel have the opposite of a house right now. And they, by the way, left a house in Egypt to go to a house that they know not of. And it's just kind of like, I don't know if I'm actually going to get a house because I've been in the wilderness for how long? And then when we get into the land, I don't get a house until all of the nations are conquered. So ultimately, when you look at what happened from leaving their homes in Egypt to getting into Eretz Israel, sort of settled, not really because we didn't finish the job. Uh, we mostly did, and that contributed to the fact of having sort all sorts of enemies that tripped us up and put us into exile again. But... There was a total of 54 years. Imagine not having a place that you know to call home 
that is stable, that you are able to kind of know is constant, is there, like you go to work and you come home, like 54 years of not being able to do that. Now, obviously, if you're with Hashem, that's awesome. And obviously, if you're learning Torah constantly, that's awesome. If your provisions are constantly met, that's awesome. But just in our current mental psyches, because we're so steeped in exile, that's unimaginable. Like thinking of Friday night, you know, for Pesach, literally sitting down at the table and Eliyahu showing up and it's like, okay, time to go. And it's just kind of like, but, but my apartment, but my job, but my car, you know, but my, my cat, you know, my stuff. It's just like, okay. So the children of Israel ate in haste and Pyro kicked them out like that night. And so obviously we left in the morning, but yeah, we got kicked out after having our Seder. Like we left and it's just kind of like, we didn't really have time to prepare it. Like the dough didn't even get to ferment. Like we left so fast. We literally had on our shoulders dough to make bread, but we had to leave so fast that this dough did not have time to ferment. That's how fast we left into a 54-year journey. Which, again, I want to just point out that there are usually 53, give or take a parasha, 54 Torah portions in a cycle of Torah. So, yeah, that's like journeying out of exile and into the promised land. So anyway... 40 years of being in the wilderness, seven years of conquering the lands, and seven years of settling in. That equals 54. Slika. Okay, so we got to make sure that as we are headed out of exile, that heresy, immoral thoughts, and thinking we know it all is out the window. I could imagine just being in the clouds of glory in the middle of a desert. It should not make sense that men, women, and children are able to make it and survive out here without anything of their own provision. Hashem is raining down manna. The ground is leveling out before us. We're not literally climbing any mountains or going through any valleys that we notice, but we are. It hasn't been dark in like 40 years. My clothes that I wore when I left Egypt, still okay. You know, children are growing and all sorts of stuff. This is the amazingness of Hashem. <clears throat> and that's what we have to look forward to with the return of Mashiach Yeshua. So I just pray that we really get that into our understanding of messianic consciousness of truly like messiah being here not messianic and like i want to go back to church but messianic as in let's build that temple with mashiach okay and then um you know really taking advantage of of the seder to to bring us out because part of the uh the telling of the magid when we're going through that long section of what actually happened in egypt and going through answering all the four questions, talking about the matzah and all sorts of stuff. You have the fact that your soul 
is being drawn out of bondage. So this is why it feels like so long, so painstaking at times even, which I pray that joy will be uh, in abundance over that all. But it's because we're being freed from this. What we think is so cool, what we think is so desirable and pleasurable to us right now is completely like, really, if you think about it, it's fake compared to what is actually really pleasure and joy for us. Because if we understand that there are pleasures and joy at the right hand of Hashem forevermore, then what we're living in and what we're calling joy, we got to get a new definition. <laughs> you know, we got to rewire some things to be like, what's your joy, Hashem? What's your definition of joy? What's your definition of pleasure? So may we do that. And as we're eating the matzah, partaking of the afikoman, I pray that Hashem will truly bring the final geula in our times and our days, and that even this year, we can celebrate in Yerushalayim, in the new Yerushalayim. Uh, Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot, and uh, yeah, the whole world to be changed and, and made new. Baruch Hashem. So I think the last thing I want to say, got to get real greedy. I mean, I've been real greedy, but you know, Yesharun and everything. So um, in 13.4, it says, Hayom Atem, Shemot 13.4, Hayom Atem Yotzim Bechodesh Ha'aviv. You are leaving today in the month of springtime. The exile was precipitated by the lost sparks of holiness due to Adam's sin. Every spring, when the crops ripen, these sparks receive an elevation and can be found in the fruits. When someone recites a blessing over a fruit with sincerity, he elevates those sparks. Thus, the spring season reenacts the exodus when the lost sparks were redeemed from exile. Lakute Halakot, Volume 2, uh, page 192-194. Bringing in the lost sparks, bringing in the converts, saying brachas with sincerity. We are reenacting the very redemption that we pray that happens speedily in our days. Hakadosh Baruchu, please let this Pesach be unlike any other Pesach. May it be so deep. May it be freeing. May we be brought to salvation and deliverance. May our lips and our hearts, Adonai, be aligned in perfect shuva, that we may truly overflow with Ahavat, Kinam, and Lashon Kodesh. We say, Kol Echad Baruch Abba Adonai. Father, please free us from exile. Please bring us into the final Geula. Please send Mashiach, preceded by Eliyahu Hanavi. May he truly drink his cup this year at our Pesach table. May his spirit permeate our homes and cleanse us and purify us. Father, free us from all of our impurities, all of the things that so entangle us, all of our heavy weights. Father, we release them now. Help us to truly lose our mind and just being understanding that you are beyond what we could know. 
Help us to understand that we do not understand. Help us to take that and be not a save in Nishma Adonai. And we pray that we will soon be united with you forever in glory. In the merit of Mashiach Yeshua and in his name we pray. Amen v'amen. Baruch b'shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Adonai. Lashana Hazot be Yerushalayim. May this year be in Yerushalayim. What do we know? What do we know? Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher natan lanu Torah temet, Vekaye olam nata betokheinu, Baruch atah Adonai, Noten ha Torah. Amen.